and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Adam Luwakano of the Phoenix Suns. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was. Last weekend, pretty low-key. The big man, Mr. Cade, not feeling quite 100%. So we kind of kept him out of soccer, tried to stay home. You know, Kendall still had her soccer game. Pretty awesome game for the girls all around. They won 4-1, which obviously the win helps. We had not had one of those in three or four weeks. But just a really solid all-around effort. And it's fun to see the girls not only getting better each week, but starting to take some of the things that we're working on in practice and then taking it over and executing on it in a game. Now, for some reason, I don't know what it is, we cannot execute a corner kick to save our lives, even though we've worked on it probably three or four weeks in a row now. But by and large, huge improvements and honestly, just in the nick of time because this weekend is our end of the season tournament. So got to be ready for that. So soccer game Saturday, pizza movie night Saturday night, watched Inside Out. If you have children, especially young children that like animated movies, it's a very, very good movie. Some good messages involved in there. And then Sunday involved Colts game. I got up early, smoked pork shoulder. It was fire. So I'm going to be eating on that all week. So all in all, a really, really good weekend. And then, you know, as I was kind of going through my weekly prep last night, and then as I was writing all this out today, I realized, wow. You know, I don't use the term busy all that often because I don't like the term. I think it's kind of a lazy term. Quite honestly, I think everybody could say that they're busy. But this week is, in fact, quite busy. Coaching is kind of staying steady, for lack of a better term, because I got a couple people hopefully leaving here soon because they've got paying gigs, but I've got a couple people starting back up. So that's always exciting, getting some people back in the fold. For iFastU, I have a Q&A call on Wednesday, and then I'm also dropping a new piece of content this week. If you're not on IFAST, you you should definitely check it out, ifastuniversity.com. Every month you're getting three Q&As between Bill and I. You're getting dedicated content, Facebook mentorship and coaching. Like There's a lot going on there. So this week's piece of content, or excuse me, (laughs) this month's piece of content for me is all about exercise modifiers. And, you know, just helping you better understand, like, hey, if you're using a goblet position, What are you actually doing? How are you modifying the exercise? How is it going to change how the exercise is executed? So I'm basically going through a whole host of those between the upper and lower body. So people have a better understanding as to why they prescribe different exercises. So excited to get that out. I'm also working on a presentation for the Vigor Ground Summit. Really sucks because I love going to Seattle every year. I think I've been the last at least three years either for the Vigor Ground Summit or for Joel's Bioforce CERT Summit. And so I don't get to go at all this year. So that kind of stinks, but we're still doing a virtual seminar. And I'm just calling this The Blueprint. A little shout out to Jay-Z. He's my second slide, I think, in the presentation. But just talking about The Blueprint and giving us a better understanding as to why clients don't see success. I think a lot of times we're quick to pat ourselves on the back for the things that we do well, and rightfully so. We should be our own biggest fans, but I think there's also a time and a place to be critical about what we're doing well and and maybe things we need to work on or maybe some things that we need to reconsider because at least for me, you know, I've been doing this 20 some years now. I think the longer you do this and the higher your own education level goes, you tend to assume that interns or young coaches, or in this case, clients 
are coming up with the same knowledge base. And we kind of fail to respect the fact that, no, like a lot of them are starting with very entry-level knowledge or no knowledge of exercise or why they should be doing certain things. So I think we're kind of taking it back to some grassroots, giving you some insights as to why your clients or your athletes maybe aren't seeing the results that they want, and then giving you some specific strategies so that you can go in and you can start making those workouts a little bit more bulletproof, a little bit more airtight. So excited to do that. That'll be Friday or today. If you're listening to uh, the podcast on the actual day it drops, podcast day. Uh, Again, I'm talking kind of in the past here, but this week I've got Dave Tenney coming back on the show. Really excited to have him on. I mean, the guy spent, I think, nine years with the Seattle Sounders, just spent the last three years in the NBA with the Orlando Magic, and now he's going to, I think it's Austin FC, but the new MLS expansion franchise in Austin. So really excited to catch up with him, hear what you know has been going on the last three years of his life, and see what this new adventure holds for him. I've also got Michelle Boland coming back on the show. Michelle is somebody that I think very highly of, very sharp coach, very creative, been through Bill's Intensive, So I'm excited to have both of them on. I think they're going to have some great stuff to share with you. And then, yeah, this weekend, soccer tournament. So we'll see how the girls put it together. We have a game Friday night, game Saturday morning. And then if all goes well, we'll play a third game, I believe, on Sunday. So basically the end of the year, I think they said we can practice next week which I may take advantage of just because I like to coach and I like helping the the boys and girls out. But they will finish up with all their games this weekend. Cade has a game Saturday, and then his last game is actually next weekend. So that's kind of an overview of what's been going on. But before we jump into the show, before we get into everything else, I just want to give a quick shout out to my boy Tyrell Terry. And I don't know if I've really gotten to talk about him much on the show, but I think now is probably as good a time as any since we've got an NBA director of rehab on the show this week. But Tyrell and I started working literally like a month after quarantine started. So end of April, I had exactly two guys in the gym. I had Glenn Robinson because I knew he was going to play somewhere at some point. Obviously, he ended up going into the bubble, but I knew Glenn was going to play. And then I knew Tyrell at some point was going to enter the NBA draft. And if you're unfamiliar with this guy's story, I'm going to try and remember to put the tweet with the video into the show notes so you can check it out. But this kid, you know, coming out of college, right? He only played one year at Stanford. I mean, he's a sniper. Like he is a legit shooter. I think we're talking about in a lot of circles, they talk about 50, 40, 90 shooters. So 50% from the field, 40 from three, 90 from the line. And if he wasn't there, In that freshman year at Standard, he was darn close. Average of like 15 points a game. I mean, this guy is legit. The one downside when he came to me was that he was undersized. And let's be real, the guy was 6'2", 155 when I got him. And let's just be real, like that's not big enough. Like you're not going to survive in the NBA. So... We have worked diligently. And I, when I say we, I've basically been there. <laughs> I've been the support staff as every strength coach is. And Tyrell has shown up five days a week for about the last five and a half months now. And to see the change in this young man's body has been amazing. He's put on essentially 20 pounds of muscle. So he looks like an entirely different human. But what's even cooler is I think we've done a lot of things the right way. We've tried to focus, yes, on adding size, but not robbing him 
of his athleticism in the process. So this guy's probably put on, but somewhere between two and three inches on his vertical as well, which was already pretty good. So again, I'll try and make sure I put that link into uh, the show notes because I think it's cool to see his progression. It's been awesome to work with him and, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully come draft night, he's going to go fairly high and uh, make a, a team that selects him a very, very happy team because, you know, as good of a basketball player as he is, he's an even better human being. And I just can't say enough good things about him. So keep that guy on your radar. My friend Tyrell Terry coming out of Stanford, wherever he lands is going to get a true gem. Okay, that does it for me. I'm going to stop rambling now. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome show with my boy, Adam Lewakino. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders, and every one of them raves about how great Momentus protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentus is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentous.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee Once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Adam Luwakano is the Director of Rehabilitation for the Phoenix Suns. Prior to his time with the Suns, Adam also spent time with the Atlanta Hawks and the New England Revolution of the MLS. Now, Adam has been on the show a time or two before, but he's someone I always learn from, so I was excited to get him back on for this week's episode. This time around, Adam and I start by discussing what led him to the Suns' job even though he was fairly convinced he didn't want to work in pro sports any longer. We talk about the money analogy he uses to describe the performance therapy model and why rehabbing an athlete isn't like passing a baton from the athletic trainer to the physical therapist to the strength coach. And last but not least, we talk about what it's like to build a performance staff from the ground up and what working in pro sports is really like behind closed doors. This was an awesome episode and I really think you're gonna love it. But enough for me, let's do this. All right, Adam, man, obviously been a hot minute since we've had you on the show, but great to have you back on. Could you just start by being real simple and easy, man? Tell us what's new since the last time we chatted. Uh, what's going on, Mike? It's so good to, to catch back up. I know it's been, like you said, a hot minute, so yes. this is going to be fun to catch up. Well, we had the bubble this summer, which was a whole new experience for, I think, the whole world, which was exciting to be a part of. Two words that come to mind to describe it was an adventure and experiment. <laughs> and fortunately for the, the Suns, we had some great success, both internally with our staff and then externally by the results that we had. So 
on a surface level, yeah, that's kind of the newest stuff that's happened recently. I love it, man. I love it. So generally, when we do these types of shows, anytime I have somebody on multiple times, I tell people, go listen to the other shows. And I will say that again, go listen to the other shows so you get some background. <laughs> but I'd love to jump in and talk about career paths because yours is very intriguing to me. And you've gone from a really long tenure in the MLS at pretty young age, really. Then you went to the NBA and then back in the NBA. So what is it about the son's job when they approached you that intrigued you the most? What was kind of the allure there? The people. Truthfully, it was the people. Because I was in a place where I was really contemplating not going back into team sports. I was really Mm -hmm. in a place of, you know, I'm tired of sacrificing my personal life, missing out on life events that you see your friends that are able to enjoy. And when you work in team sports, your schedule is is difficult. It makes personal life challenging. Yes. So what made it enticing to come to Phoenix was the people. I mean, Brady Howe is a phenomenal colleague. He is the one that hired me. He is an incredible leader. More importantly, our general manager, I mean, the first few phone calls with my general manager, James Jones, like we were talking in-depth philosophy on performance and rehab. And he is the fourth GM I've worked for. And it's the first time I've actually had those conversations with the leadership in the front office. So right there from the get-go, there was just this sense of investment from the leadership and management group and both Brady and James. And then also our owner wanted to revamp the performance model that was out in Phoenix. So really just when you have those key points at the top, it makes my life easier. And I thought it was a great opportunity to be able to come in, be a part of a team that's really creating something new in Phoenix because they pretty much cleaned house from a coaching staff and a performance medical staff. Like A lot of us were new. There was only a few people that remained from the prior year. So to come in and be able to create and have the autonomy to approach performance therapy, rehab, return to sport in this role, to me, it was an opportunity that, you know what, Like I don't have kids yet. I'm not that settled down yet. I think I can give this another shot and try and make something of it. Yeah. So really, it was the culture and the people that enticed me to come into Phoenix. And also, who doesn't like sunny weather for nine months out of the year? It's right. brilliant. Right. Yeah, that doesn't suck. So it's just so funny no. that you say that because our mutual friend, Darcy Norman, and I chatted yesterday. It's actually going to be on the podcast okay. from last week when you listen to this. But it's just so interesting because I said, well, what brought you to the men's national team? And he's like, the people, man, the people. He's like, I'm around great people every day. So... Talk to me a little bit about that because I feel like you guys have a really, really good staff there. And sometimes you see these these like all-star staff and you put them together and they don't really work. So what is it about your staff that does work and how do you guys fit all those pieces together? Because I think that's one of the hardest parts, quite frankly, about pro sports, right? It's not just meshing all the talents at, at in the sport level, but it's meshing all the support staff as well. That is something that I think it was on the forefront of our mind coming into this because a few of us that were brought into it yep. were on staffs previously where it's exactly that scenario you just said. You have a bunch of talented practitioners that are really invested in their craft, but their interpersonal dynamic, for whatever reason, it didn't pan out as expected. Right. So from the get-go, we named it, right? Like we literally just came out and named it. And I remember early on, within the first month of the season, we talked about, hey guys, we're going to go through this, 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 these stages of phases. And it's, it's, it's in the, like, it's, 
well understood in like psychology as well. But you base the way we described it as you're going to have this honeymoon phase. It's going to be so hunky dory. You're going to be excited yeah. to work to each other. Then once people start to get comfortable and they start to like feel like okay, I don't have to impress. I don't have to be so agreeable with everything. Then you start to see people's true colors, like good and bad. You see strengths. Yeah. You see places where like oh, like you know what, someone else is better equipped to manage that. And then you get into this place of a little bit of struggle, right? Like you you, you start to butt heads a little bit, right? You then what like from the NBA, whether that's because it's the season, you're starting to get tired, whether it is like, oh man, I feel comfortable now where like, I feel like I can disagree or I feel like I can voice something. And then you finally get to this point of where we're at right now is like, hey, like we know who we are. We know who is in what roles and responsibilities, regardless of job title. And now we can really have these healthy conversations that are for the betterment of the group. So I think when it comes to, I don't even know what your original question was, but I think when it comes to the interpersonal piece, you have to be patient and understand that you're going to have those struggles because forget the job, right? Forget the whole job roles, responsibilities. This past year, we put nine people on the performance medical staff together for the first time. Nine people that didn't know each other and spent so much time together. Like think about dating someone. Like you don't really know someone after until like several months of being with each other. Like, so just forget the element of the practitioner side. And I think the personal element and the human side is often lost when you consider team dynamics. And I think what made us like you like you alluded to kind of the, the talent that we have on our staff plus the camaraderie that we have i think because we were intentional with having those discussions and being aware of it and naming it when we're in like hey we're in the honeymoon phase hey guys like we're in phase two like we're starting to kind of see your true colors now oh phase three like we had to have some meetings and hash some things out like just naming it and being aware i think allowed us to be comfortable moving forward and knowing how to work that dynamic yeah i love that man So in our email exchange before the show and leading up to the show, you mentioned how important it is to focus on building systems and building processes versus just giving cute exercises to our clients and athletes. And I think there's an element of that being self-explanatory, but I'd love for you to delve in and give us a little bit more insight into that. Yeah, I would say, ooh, okay, systems and process, right? It's a bug, like process is a bug where system thinking is becoming more popular, I think. And so- in the context of trying to establish that, I think you all have to agree upon what are your non-negotiables amongst your staff? Like, what do you believe in as a group that is going to benefit the athlete? So I will speak on, say, like return to sport, right? That's a big part of what I yes. do from return to sport. So from return to sport and rehabilitation, everything that we do should be working towards running, jumping, and change direction at some level, whether it's acute injury, whether it's end stage rehab, it should be working towards those three from a general prep phase. And so in my opinion, the way I look at things, the way I build a system is if you think about working towards those three things, at what level, what stage of the rehab are you able to continue to work on those things? Even though it may not look like it, it's still like a part task of that whole task, right? And so an example of that may be, so let's say we don't have to run, right? And in basketball, you never hit really top speed, like max speed, but you do a lot of acceleration work. So within rehab and principles and process and systems, regardless of the injury, like I know you're going to have to run. So once I'm able to load the joint, once I'm able to progress you in a manner that allows you to do higher intensity activities, it has to be consistent. So early on, it may just be like, hey, like I need you to be able to lunge, right? Lunge is a slow rhythmic pattern of acceleration. Then, hey, like I know I need to have to do some acceleration. So what's a great tool there? Let's do sled pushes or resisted running. Then after resisted running, it's just body weight running or dribbles like the Altus group has made popular dribbles or marching. And then after that, it's running at certain speeds. So these principles of running, jump, change direction, working towards each one of those and understanding 
doing and what phase of the return to sport, return to play rehab process you're in with respect to biological timelines and injury healing. Like there is things that I, the timelines I can't adjust. I have to work within those are internal and external constraints. And it's being aware of those key variables, in my opinion, that then allow you to create a system that is consistent and the process is consistent as well. Yeah. I love that, man. And I think too often, and this is where like, I would say, especially like PT kind of gets a bad rap because you hear about people rehabbing and they're like doing clamshells, right? Or something like totally non-relevant to sport. And there's so much, so many better ways to get things done. So it's refreshing to hear you talk about that, knowing the level and the caliber of athlete you're working with. And on that point, I think you're right. And I think it, the, the PTs get a like, quote unquote, PTs get a bad rap, right? And that's, that is not a product of what they know. It's a product of what they don't know and how the education system and the, the profession of physical therapy has initially started out. Like in order to get into sports, you have to take it upon yourself to get there, to learn true performance and training principles. You don't get that in PT school. Like we are taught that isolated clamshell, like strength and length, right? We're taught that in school. Right. And unless you take it upon yourself or you have a mentor or you've been exposed or you've been an athlete yourself, you really just don't know. And you can't fault somebody for not knowing. So there has to be that understanding that just because that's what they do, that doesn't mean that's what they're choosing to do. They're doing that because they don't know anything else. So I think relative to, to that side and the way the, the physical therapy model is established in this country, even in Australia and England, from what I've seen, it's more of a medical orthopedic clinical medicine side. But when it comes to sport and trying to work in that environment, that like that portion right there, in most cases, like unless you're like post-op, like most injuries are probably going to take anywhere from four to eight weeks, most of them, right? Yeah. Like a decent injury. Those first, first, second, third week, yeah, some of that isolated activity is great. But then after that, it's really great at exposure to strength and conditioning principles. And so that's where like, I try to incorporate the, tip, the traditional physical therapy model with performance training, like calling it performance therapy, because those clamshells are beneficial if you're trying to like as a part test strategy for change of direction, sure. right? Like you can, like if you have that understanding and that vision and communicating that to your athlete saying, Hey, we're going to do these clamshells because right now I can't load you in standing and that's going to work on, let's just say like AFER, that's going to work on your ability propulsion to push yourself laterally. Right. But knowing that, Hey, as soon as we get you on your feet, remember when we we're doing those clamshells on the table? Yeah. I need you to feel those same exact things, but now we're going to tie your foot and your trunk into it as well and work on going laterally. So I think they yeah. all have their place. It's just understanding and having the vision along this continuum to say, Hey, this is what we're going to do here because I can't load certain things, but understand, don't forget what we're doing here because in two weeks time, when you're doing stuff on your feet with the strength and conditioning staff, it's the same exact principle. It doesn't change. All I changed was gravity and degrees of freedom. Like yes. that to me is where, where we need to get to as an industry from return to sport. I love that. And you didn't say this exact word, but the word that I always use is context, right? If you're going to prescribe an exercise, that's fine. Be able to give the athlete or the client context as to how this helps them get back to whatever activity they want to do, right? Right. Absolutely. Right. Context matters. It's like one of my, it's one of my internal key principles, like context matters because any exercise that any exercise can be advantageous or disadvantageous, depending on the context that it's within. Yeah. I love it, man. So let's put the rubber to the road here. How can the young coach or rehab professional, let's listen to this, start to build out their own systems and processes so they don't fall slave to the random Instagram influencer that's just chalking out new exercises every day. 
Oh man, it's the button for me. It's what I'm trying. Like, it's actually what I'm trying to work, work out on the back end because I get this question so often, yeah. right? From young PT students. How do I, Hey, how do I get to work in sports? How do I understand strength and conditioning? How do I develop my own model? And I think it comes back to some conversations we've had previously in the sense of getting as much exposure as you can early on. Like you gotta, you gotta see things. Yep. You gotta see things from different populations, different sports, different environments, different mentors, because having that wide, that wide filter, right? Like, or having that wide base of a pyramid, it allows you to go higher and see things and pull things in. So I think first and foremost, you have to get exposure to what you're interested in and different exposures, not the same one. And that's where I, you know, there is, there is value from a young PT or young SNC just working in gen pop, right? You're going to see a lot of stuff, right? PT working in a traditional orthopedic clinic, like go see a wide variety of stuff, a strength and conditioning coach, Go work in like something like IFAS, right? Private sector, see a bunch of stuff. And then understanding, like once you see a, this, this like generalist approach, then understand, okay, what population really interests you? Okay, find that niche population and go spend time in that population. So then you again, you're just, you're just getting exposure, right? Experience, this concept of experience and years of experience is all it comes down to is exposure and reps. Like that's what it is. So get that whatever means is necessary. And then once you have had those exposures, the way I developed my own model working with Bill is just... Taking a step back, being curious and asking questions are like, all right, what am I consistently seeing across these multiple populations and multiple scenarios? Because you're going to see things that are similar and you're going to see things that are different inherently. But I, can, I would imagine you're going to see more similarities and differences with things that you believe in, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to believe in something and commit to it, right? Commit right. to it, grow from it and learn from it. There's this like, if you talk about from like motor learning, you have this biomechanist approach where like, this is the only way we can move, right? Very rigid. And then you have this dynamic systems friend Bosch where it's like, you know what, I'm going to let the system self-organize. And that's like, they're both two extremes. So at the, at the using it as a, an analogy, when trying to develop your model, figure out somewhere in the middle where like, you know what, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit in this strategy for strength training. I'm going to commit in this strategy for fitness. I'm going to commit to this school of thought for movement because this is what I understand the best right now. This is what has given me success right now. But having an open mind to be like, you know what? I'm not quite right in this, in this scenario because I've seen something else that's better and I'm going to upgrade what I do. It's just like your iPhone. You get a new system, like an iOS update. Yep. You should be willing to update your own system and model. So I, like, I'm going to pull myself out of this rabbit hole right here and just like hit the pause button to see if that kind of hits your your no. question so far. No, that's that's perfect because I mean, it is hard, right? And like, it's funny because some of these terms just get thrown around these days now, right? Like systems, processes, like I always laugh because I mean, obviously Bill is super smart and we've both been lucky to spend a lot of time around him. And so he uses the term model a lot. So it's always funny when I hear like a 23 year old say, oh, I'm working on my model. Like I get it, but like you, you don't really like have enough reps to have a model yet, right? Like you're still just kind of taking what everybody else does. And that's fine. Like I think that's what people miss out on is like you need experiences, you need failures. I mean, you had how many years of experience working with the revolution before you went into the NBA, right? And like at a young age, you were getting all those reps and accumulating all that experience. So I think that's one thing that people just kind of miss out on. It's like they're talking about a model at 23 or 24, like you don't have enough experience or reps yet. And that's okay, right? It just takes time. And like, that's the thing that nobody wants to hear, right? Like part of this is it just takes a, a freaking long time to get your systems and processes in place. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. And 
I mean, we could we could argue it's a generational thing, right? For like, we're in the like, I wanted things done yesterday yes. generation, sure, right? And I think that's a product of you know being judged by likes on social media and, and things of that nature. Like to give perspective for like my model, I haven't felt confident and comfortable in what I believe in what I do until honestly about a year ago, right? Yeah. And that's after that's after a decade of working in professional sports. Not to say like you have to accumulate a decade, right? Not saying you have to accumulate ten thousand hours of deliberate practice. I'm not saying that. Just to give perspective for someone like myself, it took me that long to just learn, grow, understand, trial and error, figure out what's working, what's not working. And not only that, like when you have these models, Bill uses a phrase from George Box, all models are wrong. Some are useful, right? To me, a mental model is a a simple way for you to organize your thoughts and communicate what you're thinking in a coherent way. That, it, that can be progressed or regressed within your current environment. And so at this creating this model that we're alluding to here, I believe it's important for those reasons yeah. of communication and holding yourself accountable. But to your point, at a young age, I think it's more important to just see a wide variety of stuff yep. to then be able to decipher, you know what, I want this a part of my model. I don't want this a part of my model. This worked, this didn't work. Because I think if we commit too early on some things, we may lose sight or oversee other things that could be beneficial to what you perceive to be your model. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one more point on this and then I'll stop beating it up. But, you know, you said (laughs) you said it took you 10 years. Right. And I would say that's probably about right. I think probably around 10 years where I really started to feel comfortable. But now I find I go through these periods of like I'm really comfortable and I feel like I'm hitting at a high level. And then I have a couple either failures or things don't go the way that I want. So now it's like this vacillation between, oh, I, I'm like pretty good at what I do. And, oh, I really suck at what I do. Like I need to upgrade. So it's this constant like teeter totter back and forth. And I can only imagine that's the way it works for the rest of the career. Right. Like absolutely. Absolutely. Like I mean, you, you always like, upgrading. You're like the human body grows by struggle. It's the only way you grow is struggle and failure. Right. Like if you didn't struggle, like just think about it from a hypertrophy training, right? The only way you're going to get high muscle is if you struggle and you put a little quote unquote pain and soreness into your system. Yep. The mind, the body, your craft, it's all the same thing. You have to have a little bit of struggle and not so much struggle in the sense that you don't know what you're doing because then that's the, that's the complete opposite, right? It's that right. sweet spot. And like, this is what we know from like, cognitive science on learning is you need to have what they refer to as like deliberate difficulties to then be able to almost like question like, Oh, is this, do I believe in this? Is this like what I'm really trying to get after? Right. I mean, I certainly had those moments this past year. I mean, there were some players that really challenged me this year from a philosophical perspective and from a community, like I had those struggles this year and that, and the best thing that I look back at it now is they made me better in the moment. It sucked. I lost sleep. I was beating myself up. Brady was like, dude, like you're good. Like, trust me, you're doing a good job. Right. And to look back at it now, it's like those difficult times have made me better. And always having that appreciation that that struggle is going to be tough in the moment. But when you come out of it, I promise you, you will be better because of it. Yeah, I love it, man. So if we look back, say 15, 20 years ago, I think (laughs) many would say that the entire athletic development process was siloed, right? You had your ATs doing their AT things. You had your strength coaches doing their back squats and power cleans and bench presses. And, you know, obviously you had the sport coaches doing their things. So what kind of evolution have you seen during your time in pro sport with regards to the relationships between all those disciplines? Man, that's a really good question. Man, I was, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think it starts with access to information. Mm -hmm. I think access to information and access to people 
has allowed for communication streams to be a bit more mainstream than they were previously. Right? I think 10, 15 years ago, like social media wasn't as strong, especially now of COVID, like webinars and digital platforms is now like mainstream. Yep. Like I think that in itself has afforded people opportunities to step outside of their profession more easily to be able to learn from those other ones. So I think that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of how there's been this integration of professions. I also think the, the world of sports science has influenced that too, just showing how that's because they kind of overlay medical and performance. So I think those questions that some really good sports scientists out there and people that are involved in applied sports science, they've been able to serve as that medium between the two departments. If you were to say the departments as medical and performance, sure. I think right there has also afforded an opportunity to allow some integration. Like, does, does that answer kind of what you're getting at or you want to talk yeah. deeper? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, look, like it's just... I just think back when I started in strength and conditioning. Granted, it seems like a long time ago now, right? Like 20-some years ago. And I just remember we had a, a guy, a football player at Ball State, tore his ACL. His name was Rockman Crable. Just a ginormous human being. He was like the biggest human I'd ever seen up to that point in my life. And I remember Rock tore his ACL. And so I remember it just felt like, hey, you know, he went and he had his surgery. And then he was with the AT. For like the first three, four months and the AT just kind of hung out by himself and did his own things. And maybe he would come into the weight room and do like legitimately like leg extensions with him. Right. And then at some point he got passed off when he was cleared to the strength coach. And that was like maybe the first time that they'd interacted. You know what I mean? So it just felt yeah. like everybody kind of had their own job and they had their own little vertical that they played in. And then they would like Pass the baton. It was like a, a relay race, right? All right, like I'm yeah, out, yeah. you're in. So I just, I think it's interesting now watching how much these teams have evolved, right? And so I'm sure yeah. you're not just sitting in your rehab room, like waiting for Corey or uh, the hammer of Dolan to send somebody your way, right? Like you're talking and interacting with them and vice versa. And like, it's this integrated process now. I Yes, I agree. I One thing that came to mind as you were speaking when it came to like, oh, like you had the athletic trainer and then you had to like the pass the, like pass the baton, pass the yeah. baton. I think one thing that you, yeah, I think you've seen this trend too, is you're seeing more and more dual credential with individuals working in this industry, right? I think you're seeing a lot of like, I think in the NBA about you know four or five years ago, they started the trend of PTs and SNCs being like a dual credential PT SNC, right? Yeah. Someone that understands performance and understands the medical model and trying to be that medium right? Like the way my GM described it to me, James Jones, when I was interviewing, he said, Adam, like, I need you to fill in the gray space, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the docs, the docs and the ATs, they do a great job, like treating and managing the acute stuff. Cause he was a former player and this was his perspective. Yeah, He's like, and then you got the, he's got the, you got the strength and conditioning coach. It's like, man, you want to get stronger. Like you're not hurt. They like, they got me, but he's like, when I was a player and I was hurt, there was that gray space where it was like, who does what? Like, can I, how much can I do? What can I do? Like, I know, right. like, I know I can't run right now, but I know I don't have to be on the table. So it's like managing that gray space, I think has been filled by those that understand both the medical and understand the performance. Now it doesn't have to be a PT SNC. That's just, that's just me, right? That's my sure. bias. Sure. I've seen other great AT slash SNCs do that as well. I've seen other just like, they're just straight athletic trainers, but they understand the performance model too. Like it, this is where like job titles and formal education, I think we're beyond as an, as a, as a society is like, yes. that's what you do. It's like, Agreed. no, like that's just, that's just your foot in the door. And that's what just like gets you licensure. But like, it's upon you like, okay, what are your, what's your skill set? What are you best at? Right. Just because you're a PT, that doesn't mean you should be managing end stage rehab. 
right? Or just because you're an SNC, you should be managing sports science, right? Like it is just a medium to have a conversation and understand things. But like we found out, and this was like when I, you know, we talked with a mutual friend, Dave Tenney, when I asked him, Hey, like, what's some advice? He's like, just, just get time to learn your people. Like their strengths will show regardless of what their role says they should be doing. And that's yeah. kind of where I think when you talk about this integrative model, it's the openness to understand that play to people's strengths, let them do what they do. Like, what is it? I think like Apple says, like we, we hire good people and we let them do good work, right? Like right. trying to micromanage and just put pe- try and fit people into boxes. It doesn't work. And I can speak upon that on a first experience. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question a little bit more. It's perfect because it's perfect because you, you give us an idea of, as to how integrated the entire process is, first of all, right? It is not these series of batons. Treating a human is not as simple as checking a box of rehab to you know sport performance. And it's something we see, honestly, we see it in the private sector. I mean, if I can give my guy, Eric, at IFAST a shout out, like he's dealt with more post ACLs than I ever have at this point, because we get so many kids where they've been cleared from PT, right? They've done their four months or whatever, and now they're cleared to go back to practice, but they've done nothing to bridge that gap. So like he's the master of the gray area because, you know, we bring them in and we evaluate them. It's like, oh my gosh, they've got like these massive asymmetries still, or there's glaring weaknesses. So like, that's where... That's where I think the real money is made, right? Like I always talk in program design about smoothing your transitions. It shouldn't be like, oh, this is sets of eight to 10. And then the next month we're doing heavy singles, right? Like you don't just have these jagged, like you try and smooth those curves. I think that's what you guys are doing a great job of. So thank you. We're, we're trying, we're trying. Another thing that came to mind when you said like smoothing, smoothing the edges and passing the baton. One thing I try to, I try to educate our staff and our players on is like this analogy of a bank, right? You have a hundred dollars. At some, like in early parts of the rehab, some people are going to get paid more on staff because that's what's more important, right? Like your medical staff may be getting 75 bucks and your performer staff may be getting 25. And then as you slide along the continuum throughout this rehab process, people are getting paid differently. Mm-hmm. I think like that, like that might help smooth some of those edges that you're referring to like and not that. just like, okay, like, like there's like hard line in the sand. It's like, once you hit this, like I'm done with you. It's like, no, like you could still have your physical therapist or your athletic trainer at end stage rehab, just doing like little touch and goes in the training room for a quick five to 10 minutes, right? Because there's value in that. But majority at the end should be with the performance staff and vice versa, right? Like getting the guy in the weight room to lift some heavy stuff because that builds confidence and makes them feel like they're working with the performance staff early in rehab is great, but we still need to spend most of the time at the medical. Like there is a way to balance it. And if there's an acceptance of knowing that you'll get your time, I think that makes it easier. That's huge, man. I love that analogy too. So you guys obviously did something cool with the Suns and the fact that you went out and you sought out other like-minded practitioners. So why was that important to you? How has it worked so far? And how can you continue to grow and improve in the years to come? Putting you on uh, the spot. (laughs) Yeah, I I can tell. First, like when you say like-minded individuals, I think like when we, we, people refer to like-minded, like-minded individuals, it can be a double-edged sword, right? You don't Mm -hmm. want a bunch of yes men that all agree on the same thing and have the same perspective because then that just makes you like, then you have blinders on, right? You can't see different strategies, Absolutely. but you have to have people. I think we're like-minded individuals, but then also having respect for what people's expectations are of their role. Right. So for, let me just put in perspective on our staff, we have three people that have previously been a head strength and conditioning coach for professional sports team, right? Our head strength and conditioning coach 
is Corey, who was phenomenal at his job. Having like-minded individuals is, hey, let's let, we can all have a conversation about strength and conditioning because a lot of us have, have worked in that role before, but it's having the respect and trust in Corey. Be like, Corey, like you get the final say. And it's right. the three of us being okay with it, even if it wasn't like our idea wasn't utilized, it wasn't integrated. It's, I think that's where the idea of like-minded individuals comes from and the ability to have those conversations and work towards something similar, but it's also having the trust and respect of those on staff to be able to make that final decision and let them run with it. Because if you don't, then that's when you have too many opinions, you have too many cooks in the kitchen and nothing gets done. So I think that's what I, like what comes to mind when I think of like-minded individuals. When it comes to being more progressive, I think what's unique about our staff is we have a little bit of a cognitive dissonance. Like we, we have people that are just come from different backgrounds, right? People that came from college, people that came from soccer, people that came from the G league, right? Not all that much NBA experience. Like we have enough NBA experience to know what it is amongst the group, but we also have several people that don't know what it's like. So having that fresh perspective has allowed us to be a bit more progressive, but even speaking further upon the progressive side, like earlier in this conversation, we talked about like why I came to Phoenix. Well, in addition to people, one of the things that resonated with me, not just from our GM, but some of our, like our marketing and media is that this question of like, why not? Like, why not? Why can't we do that? Right? right. Like, why do we have to do things that way? Not in the sense of we want to be um, standoffish or we want to come across as, no, my way is better. It's just having the openness to, sit, to ask the question, just because you've been doing this for so long, does that mean it's the most efficient or the right way? Right. And I think when you have people that are willing to ask those questions, think through them and really, can we provide something that's more efficient, different for the betterment of the athlete, for the betterment of the organization? That's what progressive come, that comes to mind. That's very cool. And, you know, one of the things, it's so funny, you use the exact words that I wrote down. People at home can't see it, but respect and trust. You talked <laughs> about that because I was like, damn, like, okay, I've never worked in that environment. And I just thought, man, it would be really hard. Like, if I think I know it's best to let somebody else make that call. But then I had that moment of, okay, but I let Bill do that. You know, because I respect him enough and I trust his instincts. So there are times where I've gone against what I would do because he said it was best. Mm -hmm. So, and, but it comes down to those were the words I wrote because why would I do that for Bill? Well, it's because I respect him and I trust him. So, right. and you want to know what's crazy is like you look at like long term marriages. Yeah. That's what they say works, right? Like people that have yeah. been married for like 35, 40 years, it's they trust and respect each other. So, why can't we learn from those people? that have literally been the masterminds of relationships and bring yeah. them into the, like our industries, right? It's, it really just comes down to that. And then other, like other intangibles too, like you want good people, you want people that you get along with, like sure. the interview process that we have is pretty in depth. I think it's a bit more progressive than most. So yeah, all that comes into play when trying to fit a team. And I think we've done a pretty good job so far. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. So I know a lot of people who aren't around pro athletes regularly as well as just like casual fans of the game and of pro sports want to know the answer to this question. What is life really like behind closed doors? Ooh, this, this is a fun one for me. Cause I, I like to shed some light on this. It's not all hunky dory and it's not like you're in the spotlight. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what working in sports is. Like I had this conversation several times with a close friend, and she would, it's like, we both talk about like when people say, like, I want to work in professional sports. Our first question is like, well, why do you know, do you know, do you really know what you're getting yourself into? Uh, it's like, oh, like I, I want to work with athletes. It's like, yeah, you can work with athletes in the private sector. Like it doesn't have to be professional athletes. And like, the more you dive deeper, it's like, oh, you just want to be around the, the publicity of it. Right. Like, yes. like you just want to be around the, the bells and the whistles and the noise. So really like work, what working in professional sports is, right. It is knowing that you're a part of something bigger. 
and that you are a cog in the wheel, like that you are a small part to a very large system, right? In the context of our team, if you were to consider our coaching staff, our key players in our front office, our performance and our medical staff, this year, there were 22 people on any given day that could influence the betterment of a player, right? You're one of 22. So to think that it's understanding that because there's that much going on, you have to be willing with doing nothing some days and understanding that your job sometimes is to do nothing because there's other people or other professions or other goals that take priority of what you do. So there's some day, like that's a struggle. That was one thing we talked about with a lot of the people we interviewed when building the staff is like, hey, you're going to be at work for 10 hours today and you're actually only going to do one hour of practical or clinical work. Like, how do you feel about managing the rest of the nine hours of your day? And everyone's like, oh, like it feels great. Like, I mean, I can manage that. Like, oh, I'm a team player. I want to be a part of it. And then like you get in to it and you start to see like, oh, like you're struggling. Like you're not used to really just being there to support other people on the staff that need other help or whatnot. And I think that's something that's not well understood about team sports that I don't, in my opinion, because we see these athletes so many working team sports, when you see them so often, like if you go back to that bank analogy, like you're going to get your money eventually, like you're going to have your time to invest your money with the athlete. It may not be today. It may not even be tomorrow, but it's a matter of knowing that there's so much else going on than just what your role is for these athletes. Like put yourself in the athlete's, shoe, athlete's place. There's 22 people that could potentially work with you today. They're all asking you different things. Like that's a lot for them and recognizing that and having the pulse on that too. I think working in sports from a practical, like from practical side, that's one thing that is not appreciated enough from conversations that I have with individuals. And then from a lifestyle perspective, like we talked about earlier in the conversation, I was almost about to step away from it because of the sacrifices I had to make in my personal life. You don't really have the ability to choose where in the country you get to live based on the job, right? There's a life you want to work in sports. There's very few opportunities compared to general public. So you have to be willing to, on a flip of a dime, pick up and move. Also, you don't really get to choose your schedule because you're kind of predicated on whatever those above you decide the schedule may be. So you're kind of just working with the team on that front. So I think those things need to be well understood. If you really want to work in sports, understand it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to understand that not every day you're going to make an impact. And it's understanding that it's doing the little things that's really going to set you up for success amongst the group. I love it, man. I love it. All right. So last but not least, we've got our lightning round. Four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you'd like. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number one, lots of bubble related stuff here too. Sure. Number one, how did it feel being the only undefeated team in the bubble? Oh, it felt amazing, man. Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, it was it was like what, what were the odds? It was like one in ten thousand to make yeah. the playoffs. I mean, it was so it was so cool to be a part of that. And just the buzz that was around the group amongst the hotel, even like the Disney staff, the hotel, like they were all pulling for us. It was just so cool. That's awesome. I love it, man. Okay. Number two, maybe more general. How was the bubble as a whole? Challenging at first, like the rest of the world, there was a lot of unknown and uncertainty going into it, but then you figured it out. You got on your groove and you were able to just be efficient with what we do. I think that's what we came out of that. There's, there's two words that come to mind that we came out of that situation was camaraderie and efficiency. Like we have changed how we approach practice, even back here in Phoenix now, because of the success and the constraints we were put under in Phoenix, we realized, I mean, sorry, in the bubble, we realized, oh, we can, we can, we can do this a little bit differently and a little bit better. That makes us a bit more efficient. And then speaking on a personal note too, like there definitely was like struggles. Like there's days where you're like, Man, it's tough to create boundaries amongst your group because you're you're with the same people every day. It's it's tough. You wanna you, know, you miss your loved ones back home. So there was some struggle and like some difficult days for people there. But the beauty of our staff and the closest that we have, I think we all pulled pulled together and supported one another and when we needed the, when we needed that. Yeah. I don't know if it was just 
that I follow a lot of you guys on the gram, but it looked like you guys were genuinely having fun. Like the random workouts, I saw the quarantine stuff, like the water bags, like kettlebell passing, like all the random (laughs) shenanigans you guys got going on. It genuinely looked like you guys, for better or worse, were having a good time while you were there. It was adult summer camp for the most part. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Okay, number three, again, bubble related. What's the first thing you did when you left the bubble? I got a rental car and I drove over to Tampa to see my brother and my newborn niece. Like, oh, nice. The very next morning, it's like first soon as first thing I did. And I was joking with one of the players the night before. We're like, hey, like, what's going to be your first meal when you get out? And I was like, man, mine's going to be sushi. And you buy house some sushi that night. <laughs> I think I saw those pictures too. It looked delicious. It looked awesome. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Adam Lewakino? We are approaching our offseason. We're in offseason right now. I think the next thing for me is just being a part of this team and growing on the success that we had in the bubble and trying to progress, progress the league from a performance medical model, but also progressing my industry, physical therapy, which I'm trying to be a little bit more public about how we do things and what we do from a performance therapy model because like we alluded to earlier, there really is no career path to get into this. And for those that are interested in the question always is how do I get there? So really for me personally, I'm trying to help those educate themselves and grow to be able to have opportunities in this space. I love it, man. Well, Adam, always great catching up with you. Love to have you on the show. Where can my listeners find out more about you and everything you have going on? You can tune over to, to Instagram right now. I think that's my most uh, used social media account right now. And then several podcast episodes out there uh, in addition to this one. So if you're looking to check out more there, I think that's where you can find me. Yeah, I'll make sure I link all those in the show notes so people can find you. But uh, again, buddy, great catching up, man. Likewise, man. So good to see you and chat with you and talk some shop. my friend. That does it for this week's show with Adam. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He's somebody I just love catching up with. I have a lot of very similar philosophical views with him. And I think our dual backgrounds between soccer and basketball has really helped us forge a strong bond over the years. So just super proud of Adam, all the great work he's doing and carrying on that legacy that the Suns training staff has had for so many years. It's very, very well-deserved. So if you enjoyed this episode, I got one of two things or favors to ask of you. Number one, if you're not already, subscribe to the show. Easiest way to know each and every week when a new episode drops. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, even the Amazon store. If it's a place where they have podcasts, you can probably find it there. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. I appreciate it. Do me one more favor. Go into the iTunes store, give us a rating or a review. Ratings and reviews are the best way to let new people know about the show. It's the best way for people to find out about the podcast because look, my friend, this is free. Every single week, I'm dropping new episodes with great coaches, great trainers, great rehab professionals because I want to make this industry a better place. So you would be a massive help to me if you could help just spread the word about the show. Ratings and reviews are a very simple, very easy way to do that. So my friend, that does it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.